Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making the appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Alison, thank you very much for reading for us. And uh, if you have got a sight of a Bible, you might find it helpful to keep it open for the next few minutes on page 1,161 of the, uh, the Pew Bibles, if you just closed it. Well, it's a great joy to be able to gather tonight um, to uh, stand with these three who've been baptized. Um, so thank you for coming. And uh, particularly for those who are, are new to us or just popping in because of tonight, um, family or friends, um, thank you for coming and thank you for being here. But as we begin, I, I do wonder what you have made of what you've seen tonight, just from a very practical, physical level. We've seen three people come to the front, they've, they've said a few things, and then one by one they've climbed into a very cold swimming pool. And um, I wonder what you make of what they've done, just from a very practical, physical sort of uh, level. Um, it does, at that level, seem a bit bizarre. Who does that? And yet here we are tonight. Of course, it's not just uh, in a church building one Sunday evening that we uh, look at what people are doing and we make a decision about what we think of what they're doing. We do this everywhere in life. So uh, tomorrow morning, wherever we are, we'll be meeting people and we'll be making decisions about what we see them doing. Um, We'll be at school, perhaps, for some. We'll be in the office place, maybe, meeting a neighbor. And we'll be meeting all kinds of people. And we'll be thinking as we go. Uh, we'll be deciding what we think of them as, 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 a, as a person. And um, the world around us has, has wired us in many ways to assess people based on a very physical, tangible impression. Uh, we judge people um, by their appearance, um, our phone buzzes and we get an Instagram message. We glance at it. We see a picture. We, we evaluate what we're seeing. Are they, are they funny? Do they make us laugh? Um, do we want to be them? Are they, are they clever, cool-looking people? Um, we make judgments. The people in the office, are they impressive, powerful, winsome? Or are they annoying and irritable? We're, we're constantly looking at people and making decisions about people. 
And uh, tonight, we're going to think about how we decide, as we look at people, whether or not we think they're up to much. And actually, it's, it, we're going to see that as we look at people and make a decision, how we decide, what conclusion we come to, we're going to see has huge implications for us. In fact, they have eternal, forever implications. Our reading from um, the Bible tonight, from, from this book called 2 Corinthians, I think is all about what we see when we look at people and what decision we come to about what we think of them. That's what this is all about tonight. Uh, the, the book of 2 Corinthians, we've been looking at it week by week out here, if you've been coming with us, but I know many are, are just visiting tonight. It's written by a guy called Paul. Uh, he's called an Apostle Paul, and he writes to a bunch of Christians in a town called Corinth, uh, Corinthians, and uh, he writes to them uh, in many ways because they are in danger of getting confused about what really matters. They're looking at some people and being impressed by them and looking at other people and writing them off, and Paul writes to show them what really matters when it comes to people and to life. And so my question for each of us tonight is, is what do we see when we look at people? How do we decide? Look at verse 16 of our reading. Paul said this. He said, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. A worldly point of view, uh, what I've just been talking about, looking at the externals, the physical things that we can see, looks, appearance, cleverness, funniness, all these sort of things, and making a judgment call about people, writing some off and being drawn to others. Paul says we don't look at people that way anymore. Although we used to think of Christ this way. You might know the story of, of Paul and of Christ in the Bible. You might not, it doesn't matter. Uh, Paul, um, in his younger days, used to look at Jesus and scorned him. So uh, when he looked at Jesus, he saw only a carpenter from a backwater town called Nazareth in the middle of nowhere who had a very brief moment in the limelight only because a few vulnerable, vulnerable people were fooled by him. And the whole thing came crashing to a halt because age 33, Jesus was died. Uh, he was crucified on a Roman cross. You see, he claimed to be a, a Messiah figure, but what kind of Messiah dies on a cross? And so Paul accused Jesus of being a fraud and a failure. He wrote him off. And you can see why. From a worldly point of view, Jesus is a failure. A weak man who ends in disaster. There may be some here tonight who have that view of Jesus. For Paul, it all changed one day when he was traveling on a road to Damascus where he had an encounter with Jesus. And he realized in just a split second that Jesus was not dead, but alive. And in that second, he realized that he was not a fraud and a failure, but in fact, everything he claimed to be. And so now Paul views Jesus in a different light. And as he views Jesus in a different light, he views other people in a different light as well. That's verse 16. So how does Paul want us to view people around us today? And remember, our answer to that question has eternal significance for each one of us. He goes on to explain in the rest of our reading. So I've got two, two thoughts for us tonight from what Paul says. What do we see when we look at people? Well, for Paul, he sees this. In Christ, he sees a new creation. That's what he said. Look at verse 17. 
Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's what Paul sees when he looks at a person who's in Christ. Growing up, I had a, a pipe dream that one day I would play rugby for Scotland. I grew up in Scotland, you see. I, I, uh, I threw myself into rugby when I was younger at school. So I, I trained hard and I listened to my coach very carefully. I watched my fellow rugby players to pick up tips from them. And I really went for it for a couple of years. And it, it did make a big difference. So when I first began playing rugby, I was in the, uh, the fourth and bottom string team at school. And after three or four years of hard work, I was in the, the third bottom uh, <laughs> team at school. And um, it dawned on me after a couple of years that I would never play rugby for Scotland. I know it's sad, isn't it? Here I am tonight. Uh, I just didn't have it. I, I, I'm, I'm too short. I'm too slow. I, I lack the necessary coordination. And no amount of careful coaching and training would ever make me suitable to play even for Scotland. <laughs> I can say that I'm, I'm from Scotland. If I can put it this way, my best chance to play for Scotland was to be reborn as someone else. That's the offer of of verse 17. To be in Christ simply means to be a person who has put their trust and confidence in him. And if a person does that, Well, Jesus doesn't come and offer them a series of coaching lessons on self-improvement. He doesn't spur them on to find the true hero inside us. That's what the world offers. The world says, if we just try harder with the right help, in the right conditions, with the right education, then we can discover just how good we really are and we can make life work for us. But Jesus comes along and he offers to recreate us. And let's be very clear, verse 17 is, is, is far more than as if he's offering to upgrade our lives. Um, I've got here my old uh, mobile phone. It's an iPhone 5C, uh, I think. So it's pretty old. And uh, it's scratched on the screen, and I've dropped it a number of times. The, the memory is full. I can't take any more pictures. And it starts to freeze when I answer phone calls. So it's an old phone. And uh, the time has come to upgrade my old handset. And um, I know many of you probably have experienced the joy of an upgraded phone. The box arrives. If you're an a- Apple user, then um, they, um, they delay the opening of the box. They, they make it slow to create a moment of suspense. I think it's seven seconds long, the suspense lasts, as you unveil your new phone and you pull it out. And it's wonderful because it's... It hasn't got a scratch on the screen and it's quick when you turn it on and it's got lots of memory. The camera's brilliant. Your phone's been upgraded. But of course, a few months later, the first scratch. By the next year, it's out of date. There's a new model out in the market and the memory gets full of stuff and the battery dies and it starts to freeze. And a couple of years later, you need another upgrade and then another upgrade and another upgrade. You get the point. Jesus is not offering us a sort of upgrade, a slightly better model of the same basic hardware. He's offering to recreate us. And to be recreated now in the present, 
means that we participate in the new creation when Christ returns and in the world that is put to rights. The new creation when Christ returns will be a world where there's no suffering and brokenness and sadness. And this world in all its agony will be rolled up and taken away to be replaced by a new creation. And to be a new creation person now is to participate in the life to come when the new creation is revealed. We've been reminded again and again, haven't we, these last few weeks of how troubled this world is. We look at the TV screens and we groan. And we cry. And we ask questions. And we wonder what can be done to fix this world. Of course, we're very grateful for all the hardworking people who work so hard to keep us as safe as possible. They do a brilliant job. And yet even the best people working incredibly hard cannot fix the problems of this world. And so we long for something better. What can fix this world? Well, Paul would say we need a new creation. And that is exactly what Christ offers. In Christ, a new creation. Some might be thinking tonight, well, this sounds... Brilliant, but it sounds too good to be true. How can we be certain that uh, this new creation life is possible? Well, in the verses just before our reading, Paul has been explaining that Jesus himself has made it possible. He, he died, but then he came back to life. And because Jesus lives beyond the grave, anyone who trusts in him also will live beyond the grave in this new creation. I think it was in uh, 1492, that Christopher Columbus set sail from Spain heading out west into the Atlantic and into the unknown at that time. And it was the time of the Renaissance um, in Europe, the new birth, when people were beginning to think very differently about the world we live in. And as Columbus set sail from Spain, the perceived wisdom was that the world was flat and that if he sailed too far west, at some point he would sail off the end of the world into some great unknown Of course, some months later, when Columbus returned with news of a new world beyond the ocean, people's views changed forever. The world wasn't flat. It didn't just stop abruptly. And once you realize the world doesn't stop abruptly and it's not flat, then you can't ever go back. Your view of the world has changed forever. And there has been a similar revolution in Paul's thinking about the world. He looks at Jesus, a man who definitely did die, a man he used to write off, but now a man who's alive again. Paul has seen him alive. And when Paul sees him alive, the world for Paul has changed forever. He can never go back. Paul now knows that there is life after death. A new creation is possible through Jesus. And so Paul looks at people now, and the big question for Paul is not what their Instagram pictures look like, or how many friends they have on Facebook, or what exam results they have got, or how many years they've been working, or how much they earn. No, for Paul, the big question, as he looks at every person, is whether or not they are a new creation in Christ. You see, once you realize that this broken world will come to an end and a new one is coming, a perfected one, that's what really matters. 
That's what you care about for people. Paul knows that the stuff of this world, the physical stuff, the things that we so often care about, things like phones and careers and cars, they they break and fail and pass away. But the promise of the new creation, it never fails or disappoints. Rebecca, Johnny and Josh have declared before us tonight their trust and confidence in Jesus. They are, in Paul's words, in Christ. So what do we see when we look at these three people? Uh, fine young people, of course, but, but what do we see? Paul says they are a new creation. They are alive now by God's spirit with a life that will last forever. We cannot see this new creation with our physical eyes. But one day when Christ returns and the world itself is renewed, they will be there. They participate now in that new life that will last forever. It is wonderful news. It means that it is not down to us to recreate ourselves. Many people try. Many people try to put forward a view of themselves into the world which looks better and successful in the eyes of the world. We manage how people see us with our, the, the photographs we, we, we show and the posts that we um, put online and the way we hang out with certain people, the careers we go for, the cars we drive. We're, we're trying to show people that we are successful in life and every time we fail, we, we bounce back and we, we try to recreate our image and our success. We, we try so hard, but it's exhausting being responsible for our recreation in this life. I wonder if you're here tonight trying to recreate yourself, trying to desperately show people that you've got it sorted in life, that you you can succeed, thank you very much, on your own. Paul would say to you, there is someone who's much, much, much better at creative work than we are. At the beginning of the Bible, we discover that God uh, creates the world. He's very, very good at creation. And he has all the power it takes to recreate a human life. And so in verse 18, Paul says, all this comes from God, this new creation. We don't do it ourselves, which is a great relief. So I wonder tonight, what do we see? When we look at people, when we look at these three tonight, when we see them standing in cold water or or tomorrow in the workplace, when we talk to people about stuff and life and money and careers, what do we see? Paul would say that, that he sees whether or not they are a new creation. In Christ, a new creation. Well, that's our first insight from Paul. Here's our second one. It'll be a bit quicker. Here's our second angle Paul wants us to see. In Christ, a new relationship. Look at verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I guess we're used to the idea of reconciliation. Uh, Think of uh, two friends who uh, have been fighting together. They, They make up, they become friends again. That's reconciliation we can think of uh, more serious uh, examples, um, perhaps um, thinking of the events in Northern Ireland over the last uh, number of decades, uh, lots of terrible fighting and strife, and now there's been a peace process and there's reconciliation. Enemies have become friends. 
There's been lots of discussion in the news recently about uh, what happens now after the terror attacks that we've seen in London and Manchester. How can we reconcile our communities with one another, making people who are kind of opposed to one another friends? How do we reconcile ourselves? We're used to the idea of reconciliation. But there's a real shock in verse 18. Our greatest need for reconciliation is not with another person, although that is very important. No, our greatest need is to be reconciled to God. See, ever since the very beginning of the world, humanity is trying to live in God's world, enjoying all his blessings, but trying to live as if he didn't exist. Trying to sort of push him away from our lives, ignoring him as if he didn't have a right to speak into our lives, wanting to set the rules and boundaries ourselves, deciding what's right and wrong, living our way in his world. And the Bible calls this sin. It's an act of rebellion that that ruins relationships. A few months ago, I was in Turkey for a few days, and um, the country is still very much affected by the coup which happened last year. You might remember some of the scenes in the news when um, parts of the country rose up to overthrow the president. And you might have seen pictures of tanks rolling across the Bosphorus in dramatic scenes. And um, a major coup, an attempt to overthrow um, the then president. You probably know the story that it didn't happen. They didn't succeed. Uh, the president was uh, established in power once again. And once you've had an attempted coup, you can't just go back to normal. <laughs> You can't just ignore that it's happened. You can't sort of pretend that there wasn't this major attempt to overthrow power. Now, after the coup, there's, there's been a whole series of trials and people have been put in prison. Some have been forced out of the country. There's been huge uh, ramifications from the attempted coup. Now, I, I know politics in Turkey is, is complicated. I'm not trying to untangle all that's happened or what should have happened. My point is simply this, that rebellion has consequences. Rebellion spoils relationship. And we've done far worse towards God. We've lived in his world as if he didn't exist. We've tried to push him to one side. I remember speaking to someone recently, not someone involved here at all, and not a Christian. We're talking about God and their view of God, and he believed there was a God. He talked about believing that, but he described how his view of God was that God was sort of there somewhere at the edge of his life, And uh, most of the time, he didn't think about God at all, and that was fine. He didn't really need God, actually. But it was just nice to know that God was there just in case he had a bit of a crisis and wanted a hand. He could say a quick prayer. God would be there to help him out, and then he can get back to the status quo, back to life, and God can go back in his box in the corner. And I wonder if some of us here tonight, maybe we wouldn't put it that way, but that's our view of God. We, We don't deny he exists at all, but we don't really think or care about him at all, and we basically want to crack on with our life on our terms, but it's just nice to know he's there if we need him, but he's quickly back in the box again. See, we're trying to live in God's world as if he didn't exist on our terms, God beneath us somehow, and it's rebellion, it won't work. Paul calls it in verse 18, he says it's sin, But there is wonderful news. Verse 18, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. See, the point is that God doesn't take our rebellion lightly. He is profoundly offended by our attitude towards him. He is angry at the world. 
That's the big shock. Most people think that God is sort of happily smiling at one corner and not really minding that the world ignores him, but that's not the case. Of course it's not. And what we need is for God to be reconciled to us. We need his anger at us to be taken away somehow. That's the point of verse 18. And wonderfully, it happens through Christ. How does it happen? Well, verse 21 tells us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who had no sin, he's talking about Jesus, God's son. Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he never did anything wrong. He always pleased his father. And yet this innocent, sinless one died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, accused and condemned for sin he did not commit. But he died the death that we deserve so that we might never have to die. In dying for us, he takes away our sin and he deals with God's right anger towards us and God is reconciled to us if we trust in Christ. I think baptism is a wonderful picture of what Paul's talking about. Sin makes us unclean. It separates us from God. We're cut off from him. It's a wonderful picture, the water of, of washing us clean, of new life. And that is what the death of Jesus does for any who trust in him. What do we see when we look at people? Well, again, for Paul, the, the, the big question isn't how impressive we look physically or how well we're getting on in life. The big question for Paul is, are you in Christ? Do you have a new relationship with God? Well, just as we finish, a couple of uh, implications for us as we close. For Rebecca, Johnny, and Josh, uh, they do look very normal. They look uh, fine young people. But they have put their trust in Jesus, which means that they are very different from many others in this world. That they have now been forgiven and washed and reconciled to God. And even though we cannot see the difference with our physical eyes, we can't sort of suddenly assess just looking at them the difference we know that the difference is there, that they do have a relationship with God the Father. It's wonderful. And for any here tonight who have um, done what these three have done, putting our trust in Christ, then even if we cannot see it, we can be confident that we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father which will last forever. And when Christ does return and the new creation begins, we know what he'll say to us when we see him. He will welcome us with outstretched arms. He'll smile. He'll love us and look after us because he's our father. We have a relationship with him. Another implication is that there are really only two kinds of people. As Paul looks around the world, he sees those who are in Christ, a new creation, a relationship with God, and there are others who are in Christ. And because that's how Paul views the world, he is urgently about the business of telling people about Jesus. He wants people to be in Christ, to experience this wonderful new creation, this new relationship. And there are many here tonight who, who believe what Paul describes. I guess the challenge for us is to have Paul's passion to tell people about Jesus. This is brilliant news. It also means that if we are here tonight, and this is perhaps new to us, or we have never really thought about these things this way, 
We never thought about um, the difference between this world and the new creation, or we never thought about our sin or our relationship with God the Father like this. Then can I encourage you to think very carefully about these things? They are things of great importance. They are of eternal significance. And can I encourage you not just to go away from tonight and ignore what you've heard, but to think about them. Perhaps you've come with um, one of the three baptized. Ask them afterwards a bit more about why they are a Christian. They'd love to chat to you more about it. I'll be at the door at the back at the end. I'd love to speak to you as well. But as we finish tonight, what do we see when we look at people? How do we decide? Well, Paul would say to Christians, hold your nerve. This life, this world is not about the stuff we can see, our popularity, our size of our bank accounts, our phones, our, our houses. He would say, the best is yet to come. You are a new creation now, but you will be in the new creation then. And we have a relationship now with our Heavenly Father, but we will see Christ when he returns face to face, and it will be wonderful. Keep going until then. Let me finish with a prayer. Father, we do thank you for the wonderful news that in Christ everything changes. I thank you for these three who've been baptized tonight. I thank you for their trust in Christ, that they are too in Christ. And for many here tonight who are confident in all that Christ has promised, thank you. Please help us to keep on believing in these wonderful things, confident that when Christ returns and the world is put right, that there'll be a wonderful future with Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.